Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we are going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as we always say, dad is an energy and it is not a gender. Oh, my babies. Are you talking about the cat that's in my arms right now? Or are you talking about our listeners? <laughs> listeners. Oh, babies. We've got a banger of a week lined up. We teased it last episode, but... We were delivering on it. And then we added one more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we watched six movies, five of which we saw in the movie theater. Five of which we saw within three nights of each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it. Why don't you kick us off the first movie? Okay, this movie we actually watched a couple weeks ago, but um, it, it wasn't a knife movie. So we're slotting it in now. Um, and we're quite excited to talk about it. We saw the movie Three Colors Blue. came out in 1993. It's a drama slash mystery. Also, I guess, classified in the music category? Yeah, I saw that. There's some music. I, I, I get it. Yeah. Um, it's directed and written by Christoph Kislowski with um, scenario support from Christoph Piazowicz. What does that, that mean? I do don't know. I should have looked it up, but I didn't. <laughs> and Agnieszka Holland. Um, the synopsis is a woman struggles to find a way to live her life after the death of her husband and child. And I think the only really important person to mention in starring, not to say there aren't other good actors, is the incomparable Juliette Binoche as the main character, Julie. Um, so this is part of the three-color trilogy, all made by the same person. So there's blue, there's white, and there's red, and they were all made within a year and a half of each other. And they've been re-released um, and remastered and of course our favorite place in the world metro cinema has been playing them um, we're actually going to be seeing white tonight i'm excited for that mm -hmm. but this was the first one blue um what did you think of three colors blue i mean yeah this was <laughs> like this was a pretty powerful movie like from the opening scene it was pre it was pretty impactful and you know walking out of it and reflecting back on it, you know, it's, 
just like what an intimate look at not only grief and I'm stealing this from what some stuff I've read online, but also just like a look at the tragedy of surviving Mm. and what that means as a human and what that means as a person with a family with loved ones and you know it it does a deep dive into how do you carry on and mm-hmm. how do you how do you kind of define you know for all intents and purposes starting over and trying to figure out what the next version of yourself is when you suffer a great loss well and to me it wasn't just about grief but a very particular kind of grief because we you know we had a whole episode where we talked about grief mm-hmm. when we looked at i think that was jackie creed hereditary mm-hmm can't remember what else. Oh, hot rod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and I think there might have been another one in there. But those are all films about grief that um many people are experiencing together. Mm-hmm. This was about a kind of unshakable insular grief which only the character of Julie can relate to because she has lost her entire family. Yeah. Right? And that's different than say in Hereditary where there's one member of a family that's lost and it's about how does the family grieve in different ways that seem to be incompatible with each other. Mm-hmm. But this is about, there's no one else who can relate to her grief. She has lost everything that made her life her life. Mm-hmm. How do you surmount something that insurmountable? Yeah. Right? Like, it's just so, you know, I'm in a, like, or, I mean, I'm in a pretty privileged position where like, I've never suffered a grief like this or a loss like this. But the work that, Juliette Binoche. Binoche? I think so. My my best try at it. The work that she does here is she does such an amazing job of conveying the complexities, both big and small, of this happening. And just like this film isn't afraid to dive into the absolute lowest points of grief and the things that it can make us as humans do or Mm -hmm. want to do or think we want to do. And yeah, it just hits on such a such a human level of just how when our lives are kind of thrown out of whack we can turn to things that you know can be dangerous can be positive can help us realign ourselves yeah i was i was really impressed with with this i'm and like it's getting me pumped up for what we're going to see in the next two movies in the trilogy. Cause yeah, I like I, the storytelling. I know very little about them other than like they're considered master Great. classes. Yeah. Um, the, the man who made them died really young, like shortly after they were made. I didn't he know was that. in his like early fifties. Oh. Um, so like, I think that's also part of the reason, like there was, there was nothing else after this, I believe. Um, mm. Should probably fact check that. But this film, like, I'm curious because I haven't looked that much into it if the tone is going to be so different in the next two. Because they're, right. my understanding is that uh, red, white, and blue are all the colors in the uh, flag of France. And that each of the films is looking at one of the concepts in, like, the French motto, which is, oh. uh, like, life, liberty. Pasta. <laughs> life, liberty, <laughs> and bread. Liberty, equality, and fraternity. No life. Had one of them. Nice. One of the three. Uh, liberté, égalité, fraternité. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm curious if they'll have really different tones. Yeah. And I'm excited for that because I fi- found this one really quiet, really co- contemplative, mm-hmm. 
which I found really engrossing. Yeah. And it, of course, uses that idea of blue both thematically and, like, as a color. Yeah. But not in, like, a cheesy overdone way where it's no. just, like, blue, 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 blue. No. I mean, the the best example of that that sticks out for me and is, like, the thing I see when I think about this movie now is she... There's a lot of scenes with... Um, is her name Julie, the character's name? Yeah. With her swimming in a pool. Mm-hmm. And it's just... It's the coloring of the scene and the way that it's shot, it's like the deepest blue. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, it evokes so much of, you know, the the feelings that she's having, but also it just, it, it seems almost, it's so blue, it's almost otherworldly, you know? Yeah, and the, and like, it kind of considers like different shades of blue in a, like using that as a aesthetic device to think about the thematic concept. Yeah. Really cool. <clears throat> really studyable. Big time. But also, I think I've been sleeping on Juliette Binoche. Because like, A, what a babe. Oh, big time. And B, like, what a phenomenal actress. I was looking through her fil- filmography, and it looks like she's maybe never made a bad movie. Yeah? Maybe. Do tell. What are some um, that you can throw okay, out there? Let, well, Certified Copy, which we've been wanting to watch, like, since we were, t- like, in our early 20s. Yeah. Um, I forgot about that movie. I mean, I have seen Chocolat from my <laughs> Johnny Depp days. Um, let's look her up here. What else is she? Days, D-A-Z-E. Yeah, it, it definitely was a, <laughs> a days. Um, hang on, I'm going to... Can you think of anything else she's been in? Was she in Diving Bell and the Butterfly? Oh, maybe. Take a look. Whoa, she has a... Wait, the Wikipedia page. Um, <laughs> she was in The English Patient. Right. I've never seen that. I also have never seen that. Uh, Caché, which is a Michael Haneke film. Oh. Um, which I've always wanted yeah. to see. She was in Paris Chatem, which we've seen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dan in Real Life, which I remember liking. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, a movie called Sheeran that I think is supposed to be quite good. Certified Copy. Cosmopolis by David Cronenberg. Oh. Um. She wasn't a Godzilla movie yet. 2014. I don't know if that was a good one. That might have been the like Aaron. Oh, she was in Johnson. Ghost in the Shell. So <laughs> she's in High Life by Claire Denis, um, which I think also has Robert Pattinson in it. So, wow. Anyway, just like <laughs> she's made a lot of yeah, movies. Like that's a lot of stuff that I want to see or have seen. But then even I was like looking in and there's lots of things that have like fours and higher on Letterboxd that I'm like, I've never heard of that look really good. And this also came to my attention when I was looking up the director, Christoph Kieslowski, who I'd never heard of before. And then yeah. I was like, oh, he actually, he made this movie, The Double Life of Veronique, I think it's called, um, which is like a seminal queer film. Uh, and he made the film A Short, uh, The Short Act of Killing, I think it's called. Um, Oh, I think that's what it's called. But like he he made like a bunch of films that are like actually quite well regarded that I had heard of and I knew they were well regarded. And then I started looking through his filmography and it's all just like he's also made a ton of films and they all have incredibly high ratings. And I'm oh, just man. like, oh, no, did my watch list just get so much higher both through this director and through this actress? Like, ah, hey. um, but then I'm like, that's how exciting to know that there's still things out there that I wasn't aware of. That yeah. could be. We, we thought we were almost done watching. Yeah, all the we movies. we were like we're gonna have to end this podcast soon because like we've seen all the movies. Seen, yeah, and that's um, great. 
I, I, guess, I love that there's more. I guess maybe not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that um, was sarcasm. Just if you're like me and don't understand sarcasm. <laughs> um, something else I just want to talk about in terms of uh, kind of the themes and the tone of this movie. I think it did it did a really great job of showing kind of the complicated influence slash dynamics of others in our lives, both positive and negative, and how they can there's you know certain dynamics that can kind of repress us and our passions and the things that we want to do. Mm-hmm. But there's the other people that kind of implore us and build us up and you know encourage us to do the things that we love and are passionate about and i felt it did a good job exploring both sides of that i really liked the character of her neighbor love yeah and just this like quiet dynamic that develops between the two of them like this movie it allows the film to unfold before you and for you to experience it and make up your own mind about like the connections that are happening Mm -hmm. um and i really liked that connection between julie and her neighbor um yeah yeah it was really it was really good yeah and i'm excited to see the next two yeah it was great i mean it was it was gorgeous like the cinematography is amazing and it's like the 4 4k restoration of mm-hmm. all three films and i think that it's a it's been it's a great restoration though i'm not comparing it to anything that i've seen before because yeah. i haven't seen, <laughs> I haven't seen it before um but the score was also amazing and yeah, that's used the, really well. The music part of it comes in. Yeah. Not musical, but just music. music. Because there's composition, orchestral composition as a like literal plot device, but also as a thematic device within the film. Or is it like Sia's film music? <laughs> nope. <laughs> that's a movie I will never see. Yeah. Sia, Sia. Yeah. Some people ask us frequently like are there any horror movies or movies that you say that you would never see and we always like kind of go to like a serbian film and things like that we never think about sia's music i will never watch that movie <laughs> yeah likewise I'd, yeah now i'm gonna start saying that a horror film music yeah. horrific ableism yeah um <laughs> <laughs> let's not talk about sia let's go back to how good this movie was everything about it yeah how did it make you feel uh forlorn um and uh, emotionally battered through uh juliet binoche's performance that doesn't sound good but it was all for the benefit of making this a pretty incredible movie and i think that i and like i said i'm really excited to see what the next two have in store because i am a big fan of this storytelling Mm -hmm. and um the performances and the visuals that were pulled out of in this film, I'm assuming that's what to, we're going to expect for the next couple. So I'm excited for that. Mm-hmm. What about you? Um, interesting that you talked about the swimming because it made me feel like I was underwater with her. Mm, yeah. Like that idea of being below the surface. Yeah. Right. And not not quite being able to like get above. Mm-hmm. Which I liked. Yeah. I like that too. Speaking of swimming, <laughs> don't you, do it. You excited after, to talk about after this? watching the next one? I am so excited to talk about this one. Okay, this is a big daddy. This is one. This is one big daddy of two big daddies this week <laughs> for you. Yeah, specifically. <laughs> yeah. So we watched the 1975 adventure thriller Jaws. 
It's directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Peter Benchley and Carl Gottlieb, and based off the novel by Peter Benchley, which I don't recommend. It's not that great. Just watch this movie. Um, The synopsis, when a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community off Cape Cod, it's up to a local sheriff, a marine biologist, and an old seafarer to hunt the beast down. Hell yeah. Great. Um, it stars Roy Scheider as Brody, Robert Shaw as Quint, Richard Dreyfus as Hooper, and Lorraine Gary as Ellen Brody. So, okay. We wanted to see this. I was really pushing to see this because they just did a release of it in IMAX, and I was really nervous that they weren't going to bring it to Edmonton because I don't think they did it with E.T. in August, and E.T. didn't come here. Um, and like this was buried too. Like they only have Jaws listed under Jaws 3D, and you have to click into that and then select the theater, and then it gets you to the IMAX. So they buried the fact that it's even showing in IMAX. But Cineplex had it was like National Cin- Cinema Day, so all admissions were three dollars across the board uh, for any movie to, to go and see it. And our our buddy Ashley that was on the show, she's never seen Jaws. She grew up with, uh, I know her mom said that Jaws messed her up and made her not want to go in the water. Yeah, I think she said she's never gone in the ocean past like her ankles or shins or something since yeah. she was eight years old. Yeah. Um. So I I threw a message out there. I'm like, Ashley, like, <laughs> it's, it's cheap day. I really want you to see this movie. Do you want to come to IMAX with us and see it? And, you know, and, and she was on board and, you know, it's only three bucks, so... <laughs> if, if you get she, scared and need to leave yeah that's okay no loss really but the cooler thing about it is that she didn't know really anything about the film other than it's about a shark which is incredible yeah and a great way to go into seeing jaws um yeah i'm i got a lot to say about this but what did you think of jaws um i think it's important that we mention that this is your favorite movie of all time yeah like yeah. A, like this is your number one favorite movie yeah i know it's like slam dunk white boy favorite movie but, well, you are a white boy. Yep. Um, while it has been rivaled by several films over the years, and more, most recently by Everything Everywhere All at Once, I've been watching this movie for so long that there, it, there's just like this that part of it that's really hard for any movie to kind of overtake. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like you know, this is this is such a popular movie it's the first blockbuster ever and it's it's so accessible that you know when i was a teenager it didn't feel cool saying that my favorite movie was jaws so i was looking for like any little indie thing that i could so that i could kind of be cool and then as i went into adulthood i just kind of accepted that like no jaws is really good and (laughs) it means a lot to me and i love it um so yeah it is my favorite movie of all time so it's a special movie for me too because I saw it for the first time with you once we were already dating, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had known that it was one of my dad's favorite movies and we just never got around to watching it together. And my dad and I, I don't know if I've talked much about the fact that he was like my number one movie buddy. Um, there was a long period of time after like I was, after my parents had separated and I um, no longer was required to go stay every second weekend with him where instead just he and I, and I have three siblings, just my dad and I would do a Saturday night movie night together and we would uh, switch back and forth between who got to pick the movie. So, I mean, really, if that's not an early iteration of mystery movie pick, I don't know what is, except it wasn't a mystery. We would 
I, I would he would come pick me up. We would go to Blockbuster. Um, we would rent a movie, and then we would go. We would stop at Shoppers Drug Mart and pick up queso cheese, Tostitos, and usually some fruit. Because I think he felt like if you eat a bunch <laughs> of crap, the good like the fruit will cancel yeah, it out. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I love that logic. <laughs> great logic. And then we would we would watch a movie. Um, and you know, I watched The Exorcist with him for the first time. We watched the Shining miniseries together over several Saturdays. He was put through the ringer of my Johnny Depp days, D A Z E, by watching many of uh, Johnny Depp's films, like Blow and Cry Baby and <laughs> all of those. Um, but we never got around to watching Jaws, and I know it was one of his favorite movies of all time. So, can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. I don't think I've ever asked you or you've ever said like, "Well." Was your dad a really good movie watching oh, buddy? Yeah. Like the yeah. way that he watches movies? The way you and I watch movies together or the way he and I watch movies together. Yeah. Silently, we would sit like we would watch movies on those Saturdays, um, Saturday nights. We were in the back room of uh, the store he ran and we'd each be in like this old like chair on either side of a table. Table was in between us. And we just watched the movies. And then afterwards, when he drove me home, we'd talk about them. And that was it. It was nice. great. Yeah. Um, and we also went to a ton of movies in the movie theater together. Like, he was the person who took me to movies. He was the person who told me I needed to watch Saw when I was, like, 14 years old. <laughs> he saw it in the theater. And he's like, oh, you got to see it. Um, <laughs> no one else in my family liked horror movies. So that's, you know, we I really had that that love of movies that I shared with him and and I never got to watch this movie with him. So when you showed it to me for the first time, it was this incredible experience of both sharing your love for it, but also being able to like experience my dad's love for it. And mm. I'm the fact that, you know, my dad who is dead, if you listen to the show, you know that. Um that you and him share the love for that movie is like a really special thing to me. Mm. And I like, I can't extricate either of your love for it when I engage with it. And I really like it a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a really good movie. Yeah. But when I watch it, I just experience the joy of how much you love it. <laughs> yeah. Like every time, because you, it's, it's like your, your young self comes out and you're so excited for this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've seen it so many times now because <laughs> you love it so much. And we've had, the, you know, we took my brother to see it at Metro Cinema and that was his first time ever seeing it. We've mentioned that, I think, before on the show. And I just. I, yeah, I, I love getting to show people this movie. Do you remember what it was like to share it with me for the first time? I was excited. I was just like, I was just as excited as I got to show your brother, got to show Ashley. Um, <laughs> I'm not any more excited to show me. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Well, no, like, of of course I was, I was excited. Like, it's just, it's, it's like with anything that's really important to you when you bring somebody that you care about into the fold, like you're, you're peeling back the layers of who you are and what you love and stuff like that. So, yeah. And like, what really warms my heart too is, um, the day came when we were going to see it in IMAX and you were like, I'm actually really excited. <laughs> and that just like makes me so happy that you, you know, while it is a different love for the movie that you still like you enjoy going to see it, even though I've made you watch it so many it's times. It's a really good like it is. It is just a really good movie. There's a reason it was a blockbuster. There's a reason it stood the test of time. 
like not only is it just like scary and and intense and does the shark thing really well the characters are rich mm-hmm. the filming is interesting and purposeful like there are scenes there that are you know quintessential film film study sequences to show mm-hmm. to demonstrate angles and zooming and cuts and all of that kind of stuff right like it is a well crafted film it's not afraid to linger in small moments or have times that we pull out of the action to connect to bigger ideas or help us understand the characters in a deeper way. It's just a really good movie. Yeah. Like, like it's a really, really, really good movie. And it's a good movie in the dark, in your basement. And it's a good movie in a packed theater in IMAX. Yeah. And not all movies can do both. No, no. And they just, I, I don't know that they make a lot of movies like this anymore where you get such rich characters and there's very few blockbusters that'll slow down in the middle of all the action and hit you with like a five minute monologue. It, it cares about its characters enough to take the time and to let, let them, let them speak and let them react to things and let there be quiet moments. Like you're saying, like, and it plays with pacing so well. Like there yeah. are moments that, and again, it's the purposeful intent behind the way it's shot that creates panic and stress. Like there are scenes in this, it is, it's not my favorite movie of all time. And how, how could it be, right? Because it's yours. Mm-hmm. But I really love it. There are scenes in this though that are some of my favorite scenes in anything ever. Yeah. Like a couple of them that I'm like, I just... I was so excited to see Ashley see them for the first time. I was so excited mm-hmm. to see my brother see them for the first time mm-hmm. um, and be able to like share that quintessential movie knowledge and movie experience with them. Well, it's so funny too, because you're talking about, you know, how purposeful and intentional some of these things are, but a lot of it was born out of just the production nightmares on this movie. Like the fact that the shark didn't work most of the time and that shooting on the ocean wrecked a bunch of their gear and that nothing was working and going the way that it was supposed to do. Like we were supposed to see the shark a lot more, but they had to find ways to like not show the shark, but to show the shark by not showing the shark. But I still think, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I know that you have spent a lot of time watching, reading about, thinking about, <laughs> researching about Jaws. And like we just went to the grocery store last week and you bought the Life magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Jaws issue. Um, Still, when those things came up that plagued the original intentions, they then regrouped and thought of new ways to do it. They Mm -hmm. weren't just like, ah, well, we'll do whatever. Yeah. There was purposeful intent that went into how are we going to do it now? Mm -hmm. Unlike a film we're going to watch later. Yeah. Or we did watch. We're not, (laughs) we're going to talk about how we watched it later. It's like the complete opposite of this. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, what's your journey with Jaws? So you talked about how it's your favorite movie of all time, but you know, when did you see it for the first time? How often have you watched it? Why <laughs> is it your favorite movie of all time? So when I was like four or five years old. Too young. Arguably too young to be watching Jaws. Um, my mom's friend's boyfriend had, like when I went to have a sleepover there, 
he had a VHS collection of a bunch of old Universal monster movies like Wolfman, Dracula, The Mummy, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I like, you know, I've talked about this on the show before. Like, I'm just such a visual person that I just love looking at box art and cover art. So mm-hmm. anytime I went over there for a sleepover, I would always open up their movie drawer and just go through all of the VHSs that he had. But one of them was Jaws. And I, I'm so taken with the cover. I mean, the cover's iconic. So. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> of course. So I was just so enamored with it. Um, and he was just like, yeah, I mean, if... I don't even know if he asked, like, if your parents are cool with it. He's just like, if you want to watch any of these, like, you can borrow <laughs> them. So I remember I took, like, a bunch. I took, like, Jason and the Argonauts and, like, Wolfman. And I took Jaws. And, yeah, I was, like, four or five years old. Just like watching them by myself which was kind of cool because it was fully like my own self-discovery of of all of these like i i sought them out and i i watched them on my own like i didn't watch them with my family do you have any memory of your parents realizing you were watching jaws at four or five years old and being like "Mm." not that i remember i'd be curious to ask but yeah, I I don't remember. I just remember watching them on my own. And you, like me, then and now, both of us, are if we like something, we will watch it again and again and again and again and again. Oh, yeah. Well, and when you're a kid, especially, like that's just like kids just love repetition. Like you just watch the same thing over. I watched Home Alone wasn't a Christmas movie until you and I started dating. When I was a kid, I watched <laughs> Home Alone year round all the time. <laughs> it's also a pretty scary movie. Yeah. Um, um, so you do you think you watched Jaws a bunch around yes. that age? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I watched it a ton. What um, did you like about it then? So I think that it's the, it's kind of like a gateway into horror movies. Well, not the first one we're going to talk about this week. Yeah, but it's like, for all intents and purposes, like it is, I think it's regarded to a lot of people as a horror movie. Like, I feel yeah. like Jaws, like, kind of falls into Halloween movie time territory. For me, it's like, you watch Jaws and it's summertime. Yeah. But I liked that it was, I liked that it was spoopy, but I liked the characters a lot. Even, like, as a kid, like, I just remember thinking, like, Quint's so wacky and, like, Brody's <laughs> awesome and and Hooper, like, gets to do cool stuff. Um <laughs> I also feel like this plays a big part in me not liking the water. <laughs> you want to admit how much you don't like the water? Yeah, I can't swim. <laughs> yeah, I just like, like, since I was a kid, finished level one swim lessons, but never continued. I I remember I hate just like the feeling of having like water on my face and being underwater. Oh, was that pre-Jaws? Mm. <laughs> I think it was pre to post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Post, yeah. like, yeah, Jaws didn't help. help yeah, things. that's what I, I mean. Yeah. It didn't cause your hatred of having water on your face, but yeah. probably exacerbated it. Yeah. I remember, like, when I was, like, really young and, like, my mom would be, like, washing my hair in the bath and she'd, like, pour water to get the shampoo out of my face. And I'd crane my head back so far because just try to avoid anything getting on my face. Do you still do that now in the shower? Get my mom to. (laughs) (laughs) Do you try to avoid getting the water on your face? Um, I'm a little bit more loosey goosey about it. Oh, I just stand there with like my full face. (laughs) (laughs) But I here's the. It's a miracle that I do support your love for this, because one of the my most favorite things in the world is water. 
Mm-hmm. I'll take a bath and say I'm going to take it for half an hour. And how long am I in there? Two days. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> four hours later, I just keep like <laughs> putting some more hot water in. You're just a I, giant prune. I love to swim. I love to swim recreationally. I love to lane swim. I love the water park. I love West Edmonton Mall Water Park. I haven't been there since we started dating. Mm-hmm. I haven't been to West Edmonton Mall Water Park in over 13 years. Somebody take me, please. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, like, that's a thing, too. It's like, I'm not stopping you, but I'm not going with you. <laughs> no, but we do everything together. So, you know, like, it's there's no sense in going on a beach vacation together because you won't go in the water with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really haven't done much swimming over the last 13 years, really at all. Real, like really and truly and I should hate Jaws for that for making you so afraid of the water <laughs> that you can't share in this thing that I love so much but I you know I respect your love of the movie and I will not make you do something that you don't feel comfortable doing hey, thanks um, but yeah I remember even as a as a little kid I've owned I've owned stolen and purchased multiple versions of this movie wow stolen yeah the, like i i'm pretty sure i ended up just keeping like the copy that i got from my mom's friend's boyfriend pretty sure i just ended up keeping <laughs> rude <laughs> come for me <laughs> little klepto toddler elliot um and yeah like we own multiple versions of it yes. now yes um but i remember even as a kid at the end of the vhs they there was a special edition VHS that had a like making of at the end. And I watched that every time that I watched Jaws. <laughs> like I was so I was all in because like I also love like I used to watch Shark Week all the time. I had books on sharks like this. also Like this this movie spawned a whole passion for sharks. But fear and respect for them. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, like you asked why I love it so much. Like, I think that it is like that gateway to horror movies, but this is also just like the kind of movie that I really like. Like it, I like the storytelling. I like the characters. I like the pacing, um, with the pacing. Like I like the build and I like the suspense and I like the, the tension and (sighs) yeah, I don't know. I struggle to find anything (laughs) wrong with this movie. I'd also like to mention that Chief Brody is a total hottie. Big time. Like, oh boy. Oh, yeah. And I've been trying to get you to dress up where you're Chief Brody and I am Hooper mm-hmm. for Halloween for a long time. It'll happen. Maybe one day. We have not dressed up for Halloween since before we were dating. We did a couple's costume in high school. Not a couple's costume. We did a group costume in high school and we did a couple's costume a couple weeks before we started dating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have not dressed up together since. Despite the fact that Halloween is my my night <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say it's my favorite holiday but it's more than that more than that it's my i love october i love fall just like you're like i know it's such a basic white boy thing to love jaws yeah i know it's such a like basic white girl emo light to be like oh i like nightmare before christmas and i like halloween and i like horror movies <laughs> and i like dressing up <laughs> but i do i really do um so, yeah. one, one more thing I wanted to talk about was just the IMAX experience of it all. Um, first of all, I mean the the theater was full. Like, yeah, it was three dollar night though. Yeah, it, but it was it was full of folks. But like the thing that warmed my heart and also made me raise a little <laughs> bit of an eyebrow was that there was a lot of I don't know dads, uncles, guardians, like 
male presenting guardians taking like four to six year olds <laughs> to see Jaws in IMAX. Yeah. Which I'm like, that's awesome, but also real intense. Yeah. At the end, when the movie ended, I like was just kind of looking around the theater and I looked behind us and there was a, what seemed like a dad with what seemed like a young daughter. <laughs> yeah. Just sitting there kind of taking in the credits. And I was like, whoa, that girl must be so cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was. And We'd like, get in so much trouble if we tried to take our nieces to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And like, this is a thing too. And we'll talk a little bit more about this with another movie this week. But it's just kind of something we've experienced whenever there's kind of like a discount day or a deal day or something like that, that the crowd is just very busy. Like, they're very shifty. And because, like, we were talking about this this morning, that because these are films that people have seen so many times that they're more prone to get up, like getting up and going to the bathroom or going to the lobby or just like cutting out for a little bit or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's like a lot of up and down. Rustly. Yeah. And like. There was a person who was, came in late to Jaws and then had their phone in front of their face fully bright and was having a full volume conversation with the person beside them. And it was very distracting. Mm -hmm. And then the person behind them, I think, said something to the effect of, can you either take your conversation outside or stop your conversation? Mm -hmm. And then those two people just left and never came back. (laughs) And I was like, all right. I guess when it was only three bucks, you're like, it turns out I don't want to watch a movie. Yeah. And several teenagers came and left. And I was like, oh, not scary enough for you? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. You're lost. Yeah, it's very very strange. I don't know. I don't know if it's like, also, maybe the pandemic has just affected people's movie going etiquette or what it like. I don't know what Attention it is. Attention span. I don't know. Yeah. Like there's a lot of in this film and another film we watched later this week. There was a lot of like. Just checking phones, checking, mm-hmm. checking Apple watches, just very, very antsy, very antsy crowds. What I will say for this one, though, is that the kids were not a part of that. The kids in Jaws were quiet. <laughs> How could you not be? But in the next one, the kids were loud. Yeah. So. Um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, this this movie's iconic. Um, it has memorable characters. It's a masterclass in storytelling. Goddamn well-made movie. And it's human. Yeah. We watch it at least once a year. Sometimes more. And I'll watch it forever. <laughs> but you'll never go to Jaws on the Water with me. Uh, I'll stay on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> How did Jaws make you feel? Every time I see it, it makes me so thrilled. Nice. I really love it. But more than that, I love how much you love it. And I love that you are sharing that love for it with me. And that through your love of it, I get to feel connected to my dad. Mm, That's so nice. And like then it makes me feel like you and him have a connection and you never met. Mm -hmm. It was kind of very sweet. I love that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, it. I mean, it just ma- it just fills me with like joy, fear, wonder. <laughs> it also like fills me with ambition and f- makes me feel inspired. Like the fact that Steven Spielberg, who was like in his twenties, making this, and it's stood the test of time the way it has, and that like like you were saying, they just like persevered through all of these technical issues, all of the problems that were that and setbacks that could have made this just you know, a product of production nightmares on the wrong side of things. Mm -hmm. But instead that encouraged them to think of innovative ways to do things. Like that's how 
inspiring is that as a creative person to just be like, let's find a way to make this even better with mm-hmm. what we what we have in front of us right now. It still makes me so happy and it, that it's and it's so special watching this movie with and sharing this movie with new people in our lives and having watched it consistently for most of my life <laughs> um, and never getting bored of it. It's just, it's amazing. If you haven't seen Jaws, please seek it out. Give it a chance because it's incredible. Okay. The next one, the only movie we watched at home this week because we were like, okay, we're doing a two day in a row double header. We were watching <laughs> four movies in the theater at the, at the end of this week. Um, so we're like, well, we, we can't watch a movie like every day leading up. We can't talk about 10 movies, but we, but wa- if you would be okay with us talking about 10 movies and having three hour episodes, let us know. <laughs> yeah. So we'll like, do it. we watched Jaws on like a Saturday or a Sunday and the, our, the four movies in the theater weren't until like Friday, but we want to watch movies <laughs> in between <laughs> yeah. there. So. We like watching movies. Yeah. We like we went a couple of days. And we were like, um, "What do we do with our time?" Yeah, now? <laughs> if we aren't watching a movie. What do we do? Also, like movies literally can change my mood. Like if I'm in a grouchy mm. mood, watching a movie usually gets me out of it. Yeah, and I'm like, "What do I do when I'm second week back full time teaching and I need a de stressor, and there I can't watch a movie because I can't talk about ten movies." <laughs> So if I said, we, if we weren't doing the podcast, we'd probably just watch a movie every day. But now we have to be strategic about we how we watch movies. But I said to you, why don't we watch something that like we know we're going to watch again or we've already talked about on the show or we're not ready to talk about yet um, that we just can watch and not talk about. So you picked something and within seconds of the title card coming up, you're like, well, I want to talk about it on the show this week. <laughs> yeah. So what was it? It was my mystery movie pick. And I chose the 1995 adventure family film, Jumanji. It's directed by Joe Johnston, written by a whole gaggle of people. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Hensley uh, on the screenplay, as well as Greg Taylor, Jim Strain. And then the screen story was by Greg Taylor, Jim Strain, Chris Van Alsberg. And it's based on the book by Chris Van Alsberg. The synopsis is when two kids find and play a magical board game, they release a man trapped in it for decades and a host of dangers that can only be stopped by finishing the game. Dun, dun, dun. It stars one of America's dads, one of the world's dads, Robin Williams as Alan, Kristen Dunst as Judy. This is a real stack cast. Bonnie Hunt as Sarah, uh, Bradley Pierce as Peter, and David Allen Greer as Bentley. Also, Patricia Clarkson as uh, Carol, uh, Alan Parrish's mom. What about Jonathan Hyde as Van Pelt? He's in there, too. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's been a while since we've watched Jumanji. And, you know, in thinking of, like, let's pick something that's, you know, kind of easy to talk about. um, But also, like, something that's easy, but I also wanted something that, like, had a little bit of emotion that was kind of sad. And I just recall this being tremendously sad. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of rewatching Jumanji? Yeah. Jumanji is one of my all time top childhood movies. Yeah. Like I watched this movie a ton as a kid, my whole family loved it. So it was one that 
could be put on. And, you know, when you've got four kids, it's hard to find something that everybody will agree on. And this is something we all loved. And it, what's great about Jumanji is there's something for everyone. Like watching it as an adult, I see the sadness in it more. Mm-hmm. And as a younger kid, it's really thrilling and it's kind of scary. But it's still got stuff to appeal to like an older kid. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's damn good. And and to me, this is entry-level horror. Yes. Like if you're a kid and you find, you know, you and I were kind of talking as, as, as all of our memories are coming back to us as we start watching it. I asked you like, what were the parts of it that scared you? Mm-hmm. And we have some different ones. Like there were some things that, that I found really, really scary. And I think they track with the horror that I'm still, that I like kind of am drawn to today. And others, like, you know, there's, there's a lot of safari animal stuff. Mm-hmm. And you said like you thought, some of that was scary and i'm like yeah i never found that scary but you like monster movies more than i do and you like um like the edge and jaws and that kind of stuff yeah and i just yeah this is a great 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 entry-level horror movie well do you know what's funny is i went to work the day after we watched this and I said that I watched Jumanji last night and the first thing like I said it at the lunch table ev- the first thing everyone said was like oh oh I, I remember watching that as a kid this is what scared me from it really the, the first thing is this is what scared me from yeah it. and it's different for, and you're absolutely right it's different for absolutely everybody because there's so much in it yeah, yeah there's yeah. so like it, it's really when the synopsis says it releases a host of dangers <laughs> it's not kidding yeah you know and it's yeah, <laughs> it's really good. It's still really good. Mm-hmm. There's some CGI that doesn't hold up. It's a bit yeah. of a shame, but you know what? We'll forgive it. It's the most expensive episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? That's totally, <laughs> totally. And I love Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh, yeah. Loved and love. Um, but I think it holds up like hell. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I mean, it's still incredibly sad. Like yeah. every, everyone in this movie is dealing with some sort of trauma or grief. I was especially, I haven't watched this movie much as an adult. I was really drawn to Sarah's story, Sarah as an adult. Yeah. And this idea that she had seen this unthinkable thing and no one believed her. Yeah. And she's had to live with that. And and some of it's played for laughs. There's a different, well, it's kind of like. And that's how I kind of viewed Sarah growing up. She yeah. was just like this wacky Cookie. lady. Yeah. It's kind of like when we talked about Big and we talked about how there's a horror movie. There, not a horror movie, but there is a horrendously sad, terrible story about what the mom thinks happened to her son yeah. beneath the surface. And I'm, you know, there's a different version of Jumanji. We should make that movie. We should make the movie about Sarah's life. Oh, man. I don't want to make a movie, but somebody <laughs> should make that movie and give us some money for suggesting the <laughs> yeah. idea. We'll be consults. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll write that movie. That's what I'll do. There you go. Um, it's a really sad story. And and mm-hmm. the few moments where she's, she's clearly grief-stricken. She clearly feels guilty about what happened. She doesn't even trust herself to know what happened. And the moments where she speaks to that are really well written i'll say yeah and they're really sad well it better be well well written it was written by like 15 people <laughs> that's not always a good thing <laughs> not always a good thing yeah, that's true. this movie's damn good yeah i 
I have two wacky theories that I want to put theories. out there and, and talk about. Not okay. not theories, but just like, well, kind of ideas that I have about, you know, larger things that the movie's potentially trying to say that I kind of thought of when I was sure. reflecting on this. So the first one is wondering if this, the game of Jumanji itself is an, a, a metaphor for addiction. Because the tagline of it is a game for those who seek to find a way to leave the world behind. And then the whole thing is that you can't stop playing. And like, even there's a point in the movie where they all pledge to each other. We won't stop playing. And like, or like, I'll never stop playing. And it's like, you know, you can take that for sure. Literally of like, they need to play to end the game, blah, 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 blah. But it like, won't let them not finish. Even how Sarah stopped playing for so long. And, it affected her whole life. But when they try to bring her back in, she says, no, 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 no. Like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. yeah. Here, I don't necessarily think that was the intention of the it's filmmakers. Da- that's dark as hell. Yeah. Sure. I don't I don't know that that was the intention, but I think there's a master's thesis in that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, the the one that's that's a little bit less dark, it was just like, what if it's kind of a metaphor for like, it's just a, the game of Jumanji is a twisted version of therapy because it's making you <laughs> face. Exposure therapy. Yeah, exactly. Because it's kind of mace, making you face and confront and deal with your fears, your faults, your weaknesses, your traumas. Because like it's kind of the the things that you know haunt certain characters or the flaws of certain characters are then kind of they kind of come out in things that the game does. Mm-hmm. Or unleashes. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's kind of like, you're this way. So this is what happens when it's like that. How do you feel? <laughs> How do you deal with this now? Are you saying our podcast is a twisted form of therapy? How do you feel about that? Um, sure. I think you should call up one of the many writers and ask them if either of these metaphors were what they were going for. But I have a question for you. Yeah. How the hell is it that you saw Jaws and, and Won't Swim? But you saw Jumanji and you will play board games. Logic doesn't hold up, my guy. Well, and the thing was, too, is when I was a kid, um, my grandma bought me the board game of Jumanji. Yeah, we have it in our cupboard right now. Our board game cupboard. We have a board game pantry. Even then, I was like, I was like all in on it. I was so ready for it. Logic doesn't hold up. I loved it. I'd be like playing it. I'd like make my mom and my grandma play it with me and I'd like make them recite the lines. (laughs) It's like, all right, guys. Let's never stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, also, I forgot to say, like a, a big reason of why I picked this movie to watch is because there it was one of the recommendations that was featured in Butterfly in the Sky. <laughs> was the in book. archival footage from Reading Rainbow? Yeah, yeah. The that one of the kids recommended the book Jumanji. I'm like, I haven't watched Jumanji in a while. So. Um, before we wrap up on Jumanji, I would like to share with you a piece of trivia that is both incredibly sad and incredibly beautiful. Okay. So this was filmed in Keene, New Hampshire. And unlike Madonna in the filming of A League of Their Own, where everybody hated her in the town that they filmed in, everybody loved Robin Williams. Like he was incredibly nice. People, like he was, he was a joy to have in town while Mm -hmm. it was being filmed. And there is still the Paris Shoe Sign Factory in Keene, New Hampshire. Oh, cool. Um, So when Robin Williams passed away he had before his death he had been presented with keys to the city oh, wow. by the mayor in 1994 
When he died in 2014, the residents made a makeshift memorial of flowers and candles and put it below the parachute sign. <laughs> and then they organized a public screening of the film. Oh, man. We, we should stop talking yeah, about like this. Oh, I'm getting teared up. Um, That's so nice. Really beautiful, but really sad. He's so yeah. good in this movie, too. Like, the whole cast is stacked, and everybody does a pretty decent job, but, like, Robin Williams, yeah, like, the things he has to convey in this movie, he brings it hard for a family movie. And he's not that funny in it. I don't find no. it to be a funny movie, and he's so known for being... Mm-hmm. The funny guy. Yeah. Oh, it's, it is a very good movie. Yeah. I don't know if like you were see it for the first time as an adult, if it wouldn't be, I, I can't know because I've watched it so much as a kid. Yeah. But to me, it's a, it's a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. How'd it make you feel? It gives me a really warm nostalgia. Yeah. And like a, um, I love when I get this insight into like where my love for horror originated from because mm-hmm. I'm the only one in my family of my siblings who likes horror movies. And something I look at this and I think that's one of those moments where I was like, you say it all the time, it scared me, but I liked it. Yeah. So yeah, I feel nostalgic for, you know, the part that Jumanji plays in my love for movies now. Mm-hmm. How about you? Yeah, it's a unique thing. It's like Jaws. Like when you've watched a movie for so long and so much of your life, it your feelings and thoughts about it just evolve so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but always so, there's this core of how you felt about it when it was you were so young that it was just a feeling. Yeah, that's that still it kind of stays within you. But yet the way that you think about it and think about your repeat viewings of it that changes and you get to have all of those together at once and it's so cool yeah love that yeah but i'm with you i i think warm nostalgia uh, I, I i echo that a lot um and th- this was like definitely the saddest viewing like the most mm-hmm. like sad i've ever felt watching this movie but again in a way that i'm like i really respect that a family movie is is doing that mm-hmm. for me i think it's uh it's awesome. I love it. I'll I'll watch it again and again. Speaking of horror, <sighs> we liked these. Well, you liked Jaws when you were a kid. We both liked Jumanji, and we are. I say all the time, horror is my favorite genre. Mm-hmm. Outside of like, what I really say is my favorite genre is things that are incredibly, incredibly sad and break me apart, mm-hmm. but then make me feel a little bit hopeful at the end. Yeah, uh, but that's not a genre you can like stamp a one word name on. So for those genres, horror is my favorite. We had been so excited to see this movie. Mm-hmm. And it was easier to avoid getting spoiled than Nope. Mm-hmm. Because it's not as out there. So we went and saw the new film Barbarian, a horror thriller, 2022. We saw it the first night we could. It's directed and written by Zag. Greg? Zag. Wow. I just, <laughs> I just failed to talk to Zag. It's my new name. <laughs> My new nickname for him. Dang. It's not even what I have written down. What is happening to me? <laughs> Zach. Zach Kreger. Zig Pig. Let me try that again. Barbarian directed and written by Zach Kreger. The synopsis for this one is a woman staying at an Airbnb discovers that the house she has rented is not what it seems. That's perfect. That, that's, perfect. That's all you need. All you need to know. We're, like Disclosure, at least on my part. 
we're going really light on this one. Yeah, because, because you need to go in as just like not knowing as little as possible. Yeah. Stars Georgina Campbell as Tess. She was in an episode of Black Mirror. Really? Which one? Hang the DJ. Is that right? Is that the... Which one no, is that? Shut Up and Play is the one you're thinking of. Hang the DJ. <laughs> which one am I thinking of? The one with the robot? Oh. No, I thought you were thinking of The robot dogs else. or whatever? Hang the DJ is... Oh, it's the dating app one. So a dating program that puts an expiration date on all relationships. Oh. And Frank and Amy begin to question the logic of the dating app system. Right. Yeah. Or that, yeah. They can only date for so long. Oh, yeah. Man. It like tells them how long they're compatible for. That show's so freaking sad. We never finished. We haven't seen all the episodes. But it has Georgina Campbell um, as Tess, Bill Skarsgård as Keith, and Justin Long as AJ. What did you think of Barbarian? I mean, like you said, like going in, we, I feel like we knew as little as possible. We mm-hmm. watched, we saw the initial trailer and we're like, damn, awesome. And then we started seeing review, like just ratings pop up of people really liking it. So mm-hmm. that built our excitement. We freaking went to the theater and in the like Cineplex pre roll, <laughs> they had a whole piece on, on Barbarian. And then you and I were just sitting there like a couple little babies, our ears plugged, just like, down, I was even doing closed. the like la 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 la. Oh, la, me too. Because I'm like, I don't like. Are you kidding me? We're literally sitting down to watch this movie, and you're rolling pre-show about it, where the actors are talking about it. I don't know. Maybe it didn't spoil it because I feel like uh, the team behind the um, promotion of this were really smart about it. Yeah. Like I feel like they intentionally left very little knowledge about what the film was really going to be on the table. Um. But yeah, dang, that pre-show. Yeah. Um, this was great. I loved it. I loved it a lot, too. I just like, I feel that this is a little bit more general, not specific to this, but it just continued this feeling. I don't know if I've said this on the show, but I've said it to a few people in my life that 2022 feels like such an exciting year for art and creativity. Like, it kind of feels like, this is really the victory lap coming out of the pandemic. Not that the pandemic's over. No, not at all. But with 2020 shutting everything down, 2021 kind of being, you know, there's like a few things kind of trickling in, but 2021 was obviously the year of people making stuff. And now all of the stuff that the people have made is starting to come out and present Mm -hmm. itself. It has been an incredible year for media and content. I know. I feel like everything I see, I'm like, oh, that's my, that's one of my new favorites. That's one of my new favorites. Like what an exciting time. Absolutely. And like, especially like, I just, I really like the wave that, um, these wider release horror movies are writing right now. Like loved X, loved this. So excited for Pearl. So excited for Pearl, which is also getting earlier, early, really great reviews. Yeah, and I don't know. That, that That's just me gushing because yeah. it's been really exciting. So it's tough to talk too much about this movie because I don't, I don't want to even... I know we're spoiler-free, but of course, inevitably, when we talk about things, if you're a real thinker, sometimes probably we can tip you in a direction of knowing some things, and I don't want to do that at all with this movie. I will say if you like horror, you probably should give this movie a go. Yeah. I think it's going to be a very divisive movie. 
I've heard from um, a former student who loves film and I love talking about film with him that he didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, he liked the first act. He didn't like where it went at the end. And I, and I could see, I totally can see why a person wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard comparisons to malignant in terms of tone. I don't mm-hmm. really agree with that. I think yeah. if I was going to try and create a comparison, I might say, well, if you mashed malignant and the conjuring together, in terms of tone, not in terms of subject matter. Yeah. Because there's some really just straight up realistic terror in it, a la It Follows, was kind of what I compared it to, where I just felt yeah. really tense and like just like prepared for something to scare the wits out of me at any moment. Yeah. Um, but that isn't sustained through the whole movie, I wouldn't say. It is a real roller coaster that has abrupt shifts in tone. So I think if you're just on board for that, and you like horror and you're okay with some gross stuff and you're okay with some like pretty tense, scary stuff. Yeah. I think you should watch it. I can't promise you you'll love it. But I think you'll be happy that you can be a part of the conversation. Yeah. No, big time. What I'll say about it, again, when I keep things real brief, is that something it does really well is test the audience's patience. Mm-hmm. It, it is a slow burn, but it does it so well. And it does a really great job of setting you up with like one thing, you one direction you think you want to go. And then when you think it's going to keep going, it'll pull you out of that. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of reset your expectations for the movie. And it felt that felt so unique mm-hmm. and, and so original. And I love when movies are able to do something like that, do something that feels original and unique. And yet there, there are a lot of moments where... I feel there's homage being play- paid to other movies, but I won't say which ones because that would be a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I do think particularly in the first act of the film, there's some really, you know, Jaws level purposeful framing and angles and cuts and use of light and dark that are like really artistic and really, mm-hmm. you know, innovative within the realm of horror yeah. cinema. And I, you know, I just, all I can say is I thought it was really fun. I thought it was really smart. I thought it had something to say. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think there's a movie that was trying to say the things this movie's trying to say and didn't, this movie did it better. Yeah. (laughs) Personally. Yeah. Um, And I was here for it from like the title credits where you and I just kind of looked at each other. We're like, oh, (laughs) all the way to like this absolute stinger of an end credit. Like, yeah, yeah, I... You know, of all, we have never done a like spoiler-free bonus episode, but this would be a fun one to do. Yeah. Again, if you, if you, the listener, would be on board for us to talk about ten or more movies and have super long episodes, or to do the occasional bonus spoiler episode, DM us. Let us know. Comment on our Instagram post for the week. We'll do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause yeah, I mean that could even be like a quick one-off, like really shorty short episode where we just maybe just do a big spoiler episode on Barbarian, and There's then just we're out. So much I want to say about it, and I feel like I I don't even want to try to do it without spoiling it for fear that I will accidentally spoil it for someone. Yeah. Um, so I think we need to pull on out of here. Yeah. There's, oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's two more things I just wanted to say. Okay. Um. I mean, everybody in this movie is great. Justin Long is a standout. I love Justin Long in 
horror movies. Like I think I said to you, like he reminds me of a bit of an Elijah Wood where I think there's a bit of a passion for the horror genre that lies underneath the Lord of the Rings, Jess's boyfriend of it all. <laughs> but I was reading up on this. Apparently it was originally offered to Zac Efron. I did read that too. And he was like, no, thank you. I only want to play Ted Bundy. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, you know, everybody's playing Ted Bundy these days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not a big Zac Efron stan, so I'm more than happy to see Justin Long here. Yeah, Zac instead. Efron was in that like Ted Bundy movie that was so controversial, and then he was in the new Firestarter, which like that came and went real fast. Yeah. Um, but the last thing I'll say is I think that you know, as to what barbarian means by the end of this movie, I feel like it's not cut and dry. I no. feel like it's very much up to, for interpretation and discussion. And I love that. And I think it's a conversation that will hold up and be ongoing for decades. Like this is one of those films that I could see, you know, I hope one of our nibblings eventually likes horror. Mm -hmm. And this is a movie that they're like, you saw this on the first night you could see it. And we're still having conversations about it when they're our age, you know? Yeah. Um, I do have one last thing I want to say. Go for it. Which is that it's such a joy to watch something where Bill Skarsgård's allowed to be hot. Yeah. Because like not caked he, in makeup. He's or... my Skarsgård. Um, I like that long boy, long person body. <laughs> um, <laughs> the magician's body, But if man, you will. is it a... Is it an upsetting experience to be like, mm, he's really, he's he's really pretty. And then all of a sudden he like just does something with, with his face and you're like, oh, he played Pennywise. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> like, that happened to me a couple oh, times where he just like, like he'd do something with his mouth then I would like superimpose Pennywise onto him and be like, oh, you gross. <laughs> like, I don't want to kiss Pennywise. Did you think he was pretty in Castle Rock? I did think he was pretty in Castle Rock. I mean, I just do think he is pretty. Yeah. Um, but in Castle Rock, he's like pretty creepy. I mean, he's also creepy in this. In a very in, in a but in a like in a different way. In a different way. Whereas in Castle Rock, it's like it's just like a supernatural entity. <laughs> that I don't yeah. want, you know, so yes, he is pretty in that because Bill Skarsgård is a pretty person. But in this, he's he's like supposed to be. Like yeah. we're given permission as an audience to find him attractive. <laughs> I think if you find Pennywise attractive, that's a really specific kink for you. Mm -hmm. I don't think that um, the people who made the It movies were attempting to have us feel an attraction to Pennywise. <laughs> but I feel like we are given permission to have an attraction to Keith. You know, God bless those scars, guard. They give a little bit for everybody, you know? Like, it, yeah. it, you if know, you want the Northman, then there's a scars guard for you. If you like a really smart scientist who works with Thor. There's a Skarsgård for you. Isn't there a, th a third son? Yeah, he's in that Viking show, I think. Mm. I don't know. It sounds like he's flying a little bit too close to what his other brother's doing. Maybe. Well, I gotta, gotta, to gotta love the, uh, the, uh, you know, the commitment to staying with the long boy look for, for Bill, for Billy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's my look. I like a long person. Okay. So <laughs> how did you feel about Barbarian? I felt engaged, invested, excited, 
And appalled. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty appalling um, in the best way. Yeah. You? I felt very excited for October. I know. I am so primed. Like, leaves are falling outside. Like, I'm. Yeah. I'm it's, it finally was cool this week. I, yeah. I love a light jacket weather. Big and time. I don't really like wearing t shirts or shorts. It's just like not my vibe. Yeah. I love wearing a sweater. I love wearing a hoodie. I love wearing a toque. Yeah. I love wearing socks. Yeah. I just like, so the, the week was the right week for this. And then it just made me so excited for October. So excited to like, just get right into spoopy season. And it also made me hopeful for just the future of horror. Like, you know, every time I see a real like stinker, I'm like, oh man. Yeah. Should I just like watch the old horror movies on repeat? And I was like, no, I... There are good horror movies being made and between this and what I hope Pearl does for us next week. Man. I like Halloween, here I come. A, a movie that we did watch but we're, we're not talking about is we watched this like found footage documentary um that yeah. that, that, that dove into found footage horror movies. But it, you know, aside from that it just kind of made me think of like that very specific trend and batch of movies that like that's what kind of horror movies were coming out for a while. It was the paranormal activities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then it was like all like insidious and conjuring movies. It felt like, and like, you know, first conjuring is great. The rest of it's kind of blah, but there's like kind of that moment in time. And I feel like where we're at right now, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I feel like we had a bit of a, a dip because of the pandemic starting, but I even feel like in like 2019, 2018 like when we're getting the hereditaries and the midsummers and stuff like mm-hmm. that like there was a great wave starting there and i feel like it's continuing and evolving at the same time at the same time uh with with the stuff we're seeing this year you so. know me i love a look back at cinema and the trends and you know there's there are much smarter people than me who have dedicated their careers to studying what trends in horror say about the societal fears that are lingering that we kind of don't recognize except in retrospect that like oh all of these types that all of these types of films came out around this time helps us to understand that this was an ongoing social fear i'm curious to see what we say about this in you know a decade about this time and uh I love it. I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna quit my job and go back to school. <laughs> just study yeah. horror movies. It's very exciting. And much like you, I too am just a basic bitch for autumn. Oh, <laughs> I, I love it. I don't love a pumpkin spice latte, but I support those who do. It's just a little too sweet for me. But I do like pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> I like you too, pumpkin. <laughs> Thanks, pumpkin. <laughs> uh, okay, so the next one. This was cool. This was a cool opportunity because it was Metro Cinema's season opener and they were having a by donation only showing of 1993's Jurassic Park. Um, it was very cool. They had like, they kind of themed the inside. They had a bunch of like um, jungle looking plants. They had a bunch of like mocktails. They had a replica of the Jurassic Park Jeep out front with a person in a T-Rex costume that you could grab photos with. They just went all in on mm-hmm. it. It's very cute, but it was like huge turnout. So this action adventure sci-fi 
came out, like I said, in 1993. It's directed by Steven Spielberg and written by Michael Crichton and David Kep. Um, and the not is based on the novel by Michael Crichton as well, which I've never read, but I've always I was wanted ask to read. You that. I'm pretty sure we have hundreds of books in our house. I think I have it. I'll, like I, I picked it up when I was a kid and loved this movie. I picked it up once, but I'm like, that's too many words. <laughs> <laughs> I do think if you scour our triple stacked library shelves, it's in there. It's in there. Definitely. A synopsis for this one. A pragmatic paleontologist touring an almost complete theme park on an island in Central America is tasked with protecting a couple of kids after a power failure causing the park's cloned dinosaurs to run loose. <laughs> wow. Not, not like the smoothest or coolest synopsis, but that is a synopsis. Um, cast is unreal. So yeah. uh, it stars Sam Neill as Grant, Laura Dern as Ellie, Jeff Goldblum as Malcolm, Richard Attenborough is Hammond and uh, B.D. Wong is Wu, um, amongst other people. There's there's other great <laughs> ones in here, too. Yeah. So I've never seen this in the movie theater before. I have also never seen this in the movie theater before. So I was pretty excited for this opportunity. Granted, like I said, this was a by donation only showing. So the crowd was another kind of cheap day very antsy very busy lots of lots of kids with short attention spans kind of crowd um but there there's moments in here that being in a crowd was very very cool so i was really excited to see this in the theater what'd you think i love jurassic park who does not this is one of those few where i'm like if you don't like it you're just wrong yeah. Like, what? Well, it was fun. After, <laughs> uh, I rated this on Letterboxd. I gave it a five out of five. And it's always going to be a five out of five for me. And you're like, five out of five, eh? And I immediately got defensive. I'm like, tell me what's wrong with it. <laughs> There's nothing to me, wrong with it. Like, when I give something an, a 4.5 out of five or a nine out of 10, it's just, there's just a, a missing piece about its emotional connection with me. But everything else about it is perfect. So Jaws yeah. and Jurassic Park are a 4.5 out of 5 for me because I understand them as perfect movies, but there's something that doesn't speak on a deeper level to me. But that, I love them and fair. I will watch them again and again and again. That's fair. Jurassic Park is a movie I've seen as a kid. It wasn't one that I watched all the time or that my family watched all the time. Right. I We are um, seeing a movie with my brother uh, tonight. I want to ask him if he was scared of this as a kid. I actually think he's never seen it. Really? I think maybe, but this feels like the kind of movie that would have scared him too much because he was scared of signs. Right. Like signs is not that scary, but whatever. Um, yeah. I like as an adult with Jurassic Park and we have watched Jurassic Park together many times. Yeah. We actually have watched it this year already. <laughs> yeah. Pre podcast. But we, we did, we have <laughs> watched it already once this year. And something we talked about then and that you specifically said where there are moments where like the, the adults are kind of sitting around talking that you found a little boring as a kid mm -hmm. that now you find really interesting and to be some of the most compelling stuff in the film. Mm -hmm. And I agree. I think the social commentary in this film is actually still so relevant today. Mm -hmm. The idea that what I see this film fundamentally being about, and I'm sure it, it is gleaned from the book, which I also have never read, is like the idea that the human desire to control everything 
is a fundamentally selfish and dangerous compulsion that we have as humans. Mm-hmm. And I find that so interesting. And the moments where our kind of main trio call out the other people for that and also then acknowledge their own temptations in yeah. that direction are really powerful still. Yeah. I found watching it this time, I was actually really taken with Laura Dern's character, Ellie, in a conversation she has with Hammond. Yes. Over the ice cream? Yeah. yeah. I, and I like always like I thought even watching it as an adult, I'm like, yeah, like this is a great scene. But actually like uh, it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I actually think I was quite drawn to it when we watched it. I can't, we watched it right after we watched Drive My Car. So I can't remember what month that was, but. It was right before the podcast. So February, maybe, maybe early March, late February. But I was taken with that conversation then too. And it's hard not to be, you know, as an as an older person now, not like an elementary age kid, watching these, the acting is really strong. So good. Like Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, even who plays Hammond? Richard Attenborough. Is he the guy who like does the Planet Earth stuff? That's David Attenborough. Oh, <laughs> same last name though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they all are so good. Yeah. That when they have those moments where we do move into this kind of philosophical discussion, the acting is there to hold that up. It's not like when a more cheaply, not cheaply, because I'm sure they're big budget, but a more like we're just trying to make a blockbuster film that cast people who aren't as strong. Mm -hmm. And then they try and have this like interesting moment and the actors just are not strong enough to hold that up. Cough, cough, all of the new Jurassic Park movies. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. Like, honestly, for me, particularly watching this in the theater, just highlighted how awful the Jurassic World movies are. Yeah. They're so bad. Yeah. They're so, so bad. And this movie is so, so good. Oh, it's incredible. And is it not? Have we not done, as a species, with Jurassic World, what Jurassic Park did with the dinosaurs? <laughs> like, we knew after the first one that this was a bad idea and a disaster, and we should have shut it down, but we didn't. Mm-hmm. And now we just are stuck with the next two, and they're so bad, and they just keep getting worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is hilarious just how much of a parody of itself it became by making... Five follow-up movies. I am thankful, though, that for having seen—I don't know that I've seen Jurassic World, Jurassic Park two or three—but having seen all the new Jurassic World movies, that they haven't ruined this first one for me. It's still fantastic, and I, those being so terrible hasn't left a bitter taste in my mouth for the first one. And perhaps that—that's be, because it's not Steven Spielberg making them. Hmm. Maybe if he had, I'd be like, "Dude, didn't you get enough success with the first one? Did he make the second one?" He did. Is it good? I I haven't watched it in a long time. As a kid, I really liked it, but I don't think it's as strong. Okay. Well, anyway. Um, can I talk about the jerks? Yeah. I have a bone to pick with some uh, practices that I saw happening at the theater. Um, yeah. Yesterday was a really rushy day. Fridays, I'm a, I'm a teacher. Fridays are a hard day for me to get out of work on time because I, I want to be ready for, you know, the start of the next week. I don't want to leave until I am. So, you know, we were kind of rushing from home and we live, a you know, about a half hour drive away from the theater. And then it was really like because 
wonderfully, beautifully so. It was so busy, which I want to see. I want to see this, that success for, for our favorite theater. Um, it was hard to find parking and we still had to eat. And, you know, so we, we waited in line, we got our tickets and then we left and we, you know, got a really quick bite to eat and we came back. There's a spot we like to sit in at the theater. And, you know, if, if people get there before us and get the spots, I'm like, ah, rats. Mm-hmm. And we'll find another spot. But you were getting popcorn and I went to go see if like the spot we like to sit in was available. And I go and all of the seats in that row just have like a program guide on them like draped over them as if they're reserved. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know what to do here. Like I deeply respect this theater. I love and support this theater. I don't like if Metro cinema itself has reserved these seats for somebody, I don't want to take them. Yeah. But if it's just somebody trying to reserve, reserve these seats for themselves, that's not how movie theaters work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I actually went out and asked some of the staff and they were like, we didn't do that. But then my darn lack of confrontational skills stopped me from actually taking the spots and they sat empty for like over 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then the people who had put the program guides there came and sat down and just like sidled on in right when the movie was starting. Yeah. I find that deeply disrespectful. If you want a particular spot, you come early. Mm hmm. And if you can't come early, then you need to get the spot that you get. Because they clearly came early, put the program guides there, and then went off and like had dinner. Mm-hmm. You and I had a rushed dinner so that we could try and get a spot we liked. We could have gone and had an hour-long dinner and left program guides, I guess. But I will never yeah. do that because I find it disrespectful. Everybody is deciding how early they want to show up to get the spot they want to get. We're all in the same boat. Don't do something like that. And in the future... I will just sit there and I will say there are no reservations made. <laughs> like, that's not a thing. If you, if you need, if you need a spot to sit for a particular reason, for an accessibility reason, I would put money on the fact that if you talked to the staff at Metro, they would make that happen for you. Mm-hmm. And I am more than okay with that. But if it's just you wanting your favorite spot, that is probably somebody else's favorite spot too. Cause it's a good spot. You want it. You got to show up early. Yeah. I'd like the, it just like, it's and honestly soured my experience of the movie. I was very upset about it, which like I know maybe makes me a big grumpy Gus, but Well, it's it's like you don't show up if you know, in the days of Cineplex not having reserved seats everywhere. You didn't show up an hour early and throw your jackets across a whole row well, some people of did. seats and then leave. But even that I do find disrespectful. But leaving your own property behind tells me you're willing to risk someone stealing it to have your seat. And I can respect that more I than would putting understand a program. That. I would understand that more. Yeah. If like a bag was there or a purse was there or a jacket was there, I'd be like, oh, they probably just ran to the bathroom or whatever. But to have just put program guides that were available in the lobby on those spots to make them look like reserved spots and then be gone for over 30 minutes. I'm sorry. I think it's disrespectful. And it's disrespectful of everybody else's time. But also, if you left a purse behind for an hour to like save a seat, I I I turned it into lost and found. I'd be like, this was left here. (laughs) (laughs) That happened to us once at a coffee shop where there was just a like a briefcase sitting beside us for like forty five minutes, and then somebody came back for it, and I was like, all right. (laughs) Anyway, I I do apologize to everyone who's listening that I got really grouchy there, but what's your stance? 
we want, there's a lot of stuff we want to hear from you in yeah. this episode, but curious, you know, like if you were in our similar spot situation and you saw that there was just pamphlets propped up, like, and the people cheesed out of there instead of actually being physically there to get the seats themselves, what would you do? Yeah. Do you think that's acceptable? Do you think that I am too passionate about my feelings that this is really poor movie etiquette and we all should boo them? <laughs> <laughs> boo. Hiss. <laughs> um, yeah, I was I was really bummed about that. And in the future, I will just sit there if you put pamphlets down. Mm-hmm. And if you come and talk to me, I'll say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know anybody was going to sit here, but nobody was here. So I'm sitting here now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to be as polite as possible. But yeah. And by contrast, we went to another movie that same night at Metro Cinema. And when we got there, there's people sitting in the spots. And I wasn't upset about that. I was just like, oh, shoot, we didn't get our spot. Yeah, well, that's like, that's the thing, right? They got here first. Well, fair is fair. Fair is fair. Um. I want to talk about one more thing with the movie going experience before I talk about how important this movie is to me. Okay. Um, somebody like almost died. I, <laughs> I mean, like that's dramatic, but I don't know what ha- was going on, but the movie had started. It was pretty early into the movie. Yeah. We were maybe 15 minutes ish. If, if that, and all of a sudden there's just like this persistent gagging sound and like, co- like harsh coughing like sound. And, what then sounded like choking and then somebody like like couldn't make out the, what they were saying but somebody kind of shouting what seemed like it was like at them i couldn't make out what they were saying but then all of a sudden like a person sitting in front of us like kind of like just saw what was going on got up and like hustled like we're in the balcony hustled, they hustled, they the hustled down floor. the stairs to the main floor to like assess what was going on don't know what it was but it felt immediate and scary it felt very like, is there a doctor in the house? Yeah, very much. Yeah. To my to my knowledge, nobody died. Yeah. The movie didn't stop. So if somebody did die. Ugh, rest, bad luck. Rest in peace. Uh, but that was that was nuts. Okay. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park has a similar spot in my heart as Jaws. Interesting. They're both made by Steven Spielberg and they're both monster movies. Yeah. Huh. He's really good at one thing. Is Steven Spielberg <laughs> your favorite director? I mean, he is really great at magic. <laughs> <laughs> By magic, you mean like making movie magic, yeah. not... I mean, not, He plays Magic the Gathering? Big time. Big um, M- MTG fan. Um, he... Not all of his movies are bangers. I like a lot of his movies. But Jaws and Jurassic Park are two that kind of came into my life at the same time ish and just like have that hold that like really special feeling in my heart of hearts. So like this came out in 1993. So at the time I was three and my mom, she's told me before that she really wanted to take me because she thinks that I would have really liked it, but she wasn't sure if it was too scary. And Mm -hmm. she went to see it in the theater with my dad and she determined that, it would be too scary for me. Um, Yikes. Did she know you were watching Jaws? (laughs) (laughs) That maybe like a year later I was watching Jaws. Um, So we, I didn't get to watch it until, but I, I I also knew that she really liked it because she said like, it was awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it came out on VHS, watched it to death. So would you have been four? I mean, back then it took 
like took longer. It took years for oh, see, <laughs> VHS it was probably to come post Jaws. Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it was 94 or 95, but mm-hmm. yeah, probably like post or around the same time as I started watching Jaws. But again, like I was all in. It ignited my passion for dinosaurs. I had all the toys. I remember in grade one, uh, I don't know where they came from, but my dad got me these collection of magazines that were all about dinosaurs and had them all kind of bound in like a nice binder. And I took those in grade one for show and tell. And <laughs> and the teacher was like, could you, would you mind like leaving these in the classroom so that we can all take a look at it for the next week? And I was so excited. And every time people went over to look at the dinosaur <laughs> stuff, I was like, yes, yes. You were cool. Very cool. Um, But again, like this is just the brilliance of Spielberg on full display again. Like being able to make something that's so iconic, stands the test of time, um, and he's like, these are also just this and Jaws are just mainstream horror movies. Horror, I mean, Jurassic Park is like horror that's accessible for a younger audience. I think yeah. it is. It is quite intense. I'm not really scared of monster movies because I think in my mind, well, first of all, dino like dinosaurs don't exist currently, so like that just doesn't scare me. And other, like, you know, where, like, not werewolf, sorry, but, like, wolf or bear or, like, even shark stuff, I'm just like, well, I'm not going to be in a situation where that's going to happen. Or I know that they're over-exaggerating how aggressive the animals are in seeking out humans. Um, I'm much more scared of paranormal stuff, even though I don't believe in it, because I'm like, well, if it were real, how do you tackle that? Mm. Or, you know, um, serial killer stuff, because I'm like, okay, well, I can avoid going on a hike in the woods or make sure that if I go on the hike in the woods, I've got bear spray and whatnot. But if a serial killer wants to come to my house and kill me, I'm really not in control of that. Mm -hmm. A bear is not going to break into my house. (laughs) (laughs) That I know of. Um, So I do think it's an intense movie and I can see why it is really scary to people. Like from the first kind of night scene with like a lot of that iconic imagery that like even if you haven't seen the movie, you've probably seen the scenes or seeing the references all the way up until we're back in the daytime, like pretty close to the end of the movie. It's really intense. Mm-hmm. And like the, like people are dying yeah. and like the threats are real, but it's not bloody the way Jaws is. Well, I mean, there's some, there's some <laughs> bloody moments. There's some stuff. Not in the same way as Jaws though. Not copious amounts of blood, but it feel it feels like an accessible scary. And I've just never found monster monster movies to be horror for me. That's fair. But I, I understand why they are to some people. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's totally fair. But something with it, it was a really interesting it was really interesting watching Jaws and Jurassic Park in the theater in the same week because I kind of witnessed the same thing happen in both. Um but in Jurassic, in the case of Jurassic Park, the the nighttime scene that involves a particular dinosaur and a couple of vehicles, it is so. It is done so masterfully, and is so iconic, and is so, just like, like, stimulates all of your senses. That like the crowd is quiet, like mm-hmm. they're just fully immersed in what's going on on the screen because it is incredible 
Yeah, it was really special to see both of those in the theater. And despite the rustly nature of both. Yeah. Um, when those moments happened and I could just kind of, I have some some intense sensory sensitivities. And so sometimes I really struggle to to block out that rustling or that um, just other people's lack of attention infringes on my attention. Um, but when I can get like zeroed in on it and those scenes really did it for me in this and in mm-hmm. Jaws, Interesting, really interesting though, seeing Jaws in IMAX at Cineplex as opposed to Jurassic Park, you know, on the season opener at Metro because, you know, we saw the Big Lebowski there recently and we're about to talk about another like classic, if you can <laughs> call it that film that we saw there. And there seems to be um, a understanding among the patrons of Metro that we are allowed to shout things at the screen, mm-hmm. which... You know, you know, a handful of years back, we saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre there and there was a little bit of that and I was kind of upset about it. And now I'm just like, oh, if you go, that's the vibe. And now I like love it. So like, you know, when Jeff Goldblum is shirtless on the screen, there was a lot of like, like just a monstrously loud applause and whooping and hollering. There's this really great moment where everyone like cheers for um, a moment where like uh, a I don't know how to say it without spoiling it, but there's stuff with a computer and then just somebody behind us just yells, yeah, women in STEM. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, so similar to like the Big Lebowski with the like, watch your step where it's like, okay, you need to understand if you're going to go see it for the first time and it's a sold out crowd or close to sold out that people here are kind of expecting that everybody has seen it and loves it and that we can kind of like lovingly embrace embrace the the moment with some like positive shouts and like positive applause mm-hmm. it was really fun yeah and that did my point though is that did not happen at jaws if it had been a sold out season opener of jaws i feel like we would have had a lot of like you know like cheers when hooper comes on the screen for the first time and booze at the mayor and things like that but it wasn't like that at jaws and at jurassic yeah. park there was this just this like camaraderie. Well, it's, and it's so funny too. Like at the end of Jaws and IMAX, like the, the IMAX experience can be so overwhelming that like at the ending of the movie, like the main climax of it, I like, I wanted to cheer. It's a movie you want to cheer at the end, end of like you want to, you want to have a victory lap. There was clapping at Cineplex for Jaws. Yeah. But it wasn't smattering. It wasn't the way it was here. We're like, yeah, I don't know. There was just, it was a rustly crowd and the kids were a little restless and that kind of stuff. But um, the people who were there and who were into it made it a really joyous experience, which I always mm-hmm. find that those kinds of um, classic favorite films bring out at Metro, which is quite fun. But you yeah. just have to know that that's what it's going to be like. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, there was, there was some... We've talked about some of the detractors of the the movie theater experience, but also just like there's, you could set, you could sense and feel the love in the theater mm-hmm. that people had for Jurassic Park, and, and overwhelmingly that's what it was. There was yeah a few stinkers, a few disrespectfuls, but like yeah, there's some in every crowd. Yeah, but like hearing people cheer for all the stuff you know is coming up, and hearing cheers for stuff you didn't expect to hear cheers for. Yeah, like the women in STEM. So that's cute. so funny. Yeah, I'll I remember it. that forever. Um, but 
it's just, it's incredible. It still stands the test of time. Um, Phil Tippett, who we talked about, who created Mad God, was like head, um, one of the head visual effects people on this. You got applause while the credits were rolling. And then Stan Winston, who did all of the practical effects. And the way that they blend the CGI with the practical, it just, it allow it allows it to stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. And there's just... Yeah, there's just something that is so not rememberable, not memorable about the Jurassic World series that uses all C- primarily CGI dinosaurs. And then this that blends the two of the practical and CGI so well that you can get fully immersed in this. Yeah. Like you said, we've watched this twice this year. Well, <laughs> like Jaws, we'll probably watch this once a year, every year for the rest of our lives. <laughs> Very likely. Yeah. How did it make you feel? Seeing it. In these conditions, so like in the theater, in a pretty much sold out 500 person theater for the opening season opener of this place we love so much and seeing, you know, the magic that is Steven Spielberg on the screen just made me really grateful for the power of cinema. Yeah. It's like historically because 1993 is historically now and and then, you know, having just seen Barbarian and We've seen so many fantastic movies in the last, like, you know, since 2019, I've seen several movies that I think are my new favorite movie. And I'm just, I'm grateful for the opportunity to see movies in the theater with a crowd and to witness the power of cinema. Yeah. You? Yeah. Uh, Seeing it in the theater kind of took me back to seeing it as a kid a little bit. And, that feels like such an introspective older person thing to say, Look, <laughs> looking back. Looking back. Um, but this movie makes me wondrously happy. Oh, that's cute. Um, and I was thinking about it. I wonder if they're going to do an IMAX release next year for its 30th anniversary. You'd be there. <sighs> With bells on. <laughs> <laughs> Literally? <laughs> yeah. Ding, ding. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Wow, this is a a special. (laughs) A special. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. Okay, as part of the season opener for Metro Cinema, and I'm going to say it again, if you live in Edmonton and you've never been, what is wrong with you? Look at their September schedule and what I'm sure is going to be a bang in October schedule and pick one thing and go go see something there. And if you're not from Edmonton, Come here and see something there. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Or make a donation to them if you listen to us and you want to support Metro because you know we love it and you get to listen to us for free every week. And to be clear, we are not sponsored by or paid by, like, no. they are not for profit. I don't even think they know who we are. Yeah, yeah. They <laughs> yeah. Are, they are fully not for profit, like... We just love what they do. We just really big supporters. And like, yeah, we've never had a sponsor on the, on the show. We just plug the stuff we love. Yes. And if we ever do, you will know about it, but we're not there. Um, so they had Jurassic Park at seven by donation. And then they had their 100th showing of the room. They haven't, to my knowledge, they haven't since... March 2020, offered every ticket available yet. And Mm -hmm. this was the first night they did that, where they 
made it possible to actually sell out the theater. They've had sold out shows since March 2020, but they were one third capacity or half capacity. And this was the first time that the theater was entirely full. And while we've been to sold out shows there before, we've seen Die Hard there sold out. We've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre there sold out. We haven't seen anything there sold out completely since pre-2020. And would that have been Die Hard? Christmas 2019? I think so. It was the last time we, we saw something there that was sold out. Now, we've been to a couple of shows recently that were quite full. Yeah. But not every seat is full. Um, and it was overwhelming <laughs> seeing all of the seats fill up. <laughs> it was it was beautiful and overwhelming and wild. So Jurassic Park was at 7 and the room was at 11.30 p.m. And we went to both. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we were all in for the season opener. So the room, if you don't know about it, uh, widely considered one of the worst films ever made. It came out in 2003. It is classified as a drama. <laughs> sure. We're really pay- playing fast and loose with that. Directed and written by Tommy Wiseau. Sorry. Directed, written, produced, executive produced. And starring. And starring Tommy, Tommy Wiseau. Wiseau. Uh, the synopsis. Johnny is a successful bank executive who lives quietly in a San Francisco townhouse with his fiance Lisa. <laughs> One day, putting aside any scruple, she seduces Johnny's best friend, Mark. From there, nothing will be the same again. <laughs> Starring Tommy Wiseau as Johnny, Juliette Danielle as Lisa, Greg Sestero as Mark, and Philip Haldeman as Denny, and Denny. a whole host of other people that I will not mention. Um, yeah, we have had opportunities to go see The Room at Metro before. It's something that they've been playing for years. They, before the pandemic, they played it once a month. Oh, really? Yeah. I think I knew that but had forgotten because it's been, they have not played it in years. Bless the hearts of anybody that goes to see The Room 12 times a year. They, I mean, <laughs> they must be able to, they wouldn't do it once a month if they They wouldn't have shown seats. it a hundred times if they did show it <laughs> once a month. That is true. But we were like, you know what? If there's ever a time to give this a go because we haven't yet... The 100th showing for the season opener for the first time that every seat is available to be purchased. We're going to do it. Yeah. Um, And it was a sold out show. What did you think of the room? At Metro Cinema for its 100th showing specifically. Yeah. Like that's the thing. Like this was bigger than just going to see the room. We've seen the room. So we. Sillily we watched it for the first time at home. Yeah. Like a proper movie. I think we pirated it. Yeah. Which Um, it's. And. It is not a proper movie. No. We like we watched it as if it was a real movie because we had heard about these showings and I'm going to talk a little bit more about why at the time I really didn't want to go to one of these showings mm-hmm. and how I think some of the issues I have with it has shifted, although it isn't gone entirely. But before we get to that, so we just decided, let's just watch it on our own and know what people are talking about. It is such an astonishingly bad movie just from a technical standpoint it's like poorly written. It doesn't make sense. It's boring. Like if you just try and watch this as a movie on its own, you're probably going to feel the same way we did, which was like, wow, I never need to see that again. <laughs> yeah. But it's a different thing when you go and see it in the theater. Yeah. I mean, moving forward, seeing this in the theater is the only way that I'll watch this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, not once a month. No. Um, maybe once a year, if that. Yeah. Um, I just, or if, you know, maybe if I need like an audience participation pump, 
But this was also my first ever audience participation movie. Yeah, I had like seen a very like diet audience participation version of Rocky Horror at the Leduc Cinema one time. And I have I haven't been to that. I've want I've you know I've always wanted to go to Metro's Rocky Horror like for like since my early 20s I think and I just always it sells out so fast. Yeah. And I've always just missed the boat on it. Yeah. Um me too. and I'm really going to try not to miss the boat on it this year. Yeah. So this was my first real audience participation movie. And um, we we uh, ended up meeting up with one of my friends and colleagues, Lexi, and then her friend, Nicole. And um, we all sat together. And Nicole brought spoons. <laughs> so we had some spoons. Thank you. That's like me. the one thing. There's a, I tried to do a little bit of research going into this movie of all of the audience participation things. And it was huge. There's so many things. But the main takeaway was that there are parts in the movie where you throw spoons. Plastic spoons, yeah. So Nicole came up clutch. And she had never seen the room. The other three of us had. None of us, the four of us had been, none of the four of us had been to a theater viewing of the room. But Lexi, you and me had all seen the room before. Yeah. So I love that the one person who had never even seen the room is the one who brought the spoons. <laughs> Just need some spoons. But there was also people who like obviously are so into this and probably used to go once a month or several times a year who are so excited because the room hasn't been played at Metro in years who had like Costco size things of plastic spoons and were handing them out to strangers. Yeah. We're just like going up and down the aisles and saying like, take a handful, pass it on, take a handful, pass it on. It was wild. The energy, there's no other way to express what it was like except to say that it was electric. Yeah. Like it was a crackling energy. Like it was like, what did you say? I mean, it was like being at a, at a, Concert. Concert. But like. It was unlike anything I have ever experienced. It was. Quite honestly. It was overwhelming. It was overwhelming, but in like the best possible way. Yeah. I spent most of it just like shaking my head in astonishment with like a big smile on my face and kind of just like chuckling to myself because we had never been there. So we didn't know the audience participation things, but quickly you learn that you say, meanwhile in San Francisco, (laughs) close the door. (laughs) She has cancer. Just like so many. He's getting the promotion. (laughs) (laughs) It was wild. I just like, and there's somebody, there's a few rows in front of us who like made the whole movie for me. That person was so pumped. And was like doing like devil horn hands like in the air most of the movie. (laughs) Like I just love that that is knowing all of the audience participation beats for the room is a passion of this person's. Yeah. And I respect the hell out of it. It was wild. And we got to throw some spoons. We, um, you know, it's been... By the time that this episode comes out, we actually will have posted on our stories quite a long time ago a picture of the ground <laughs> that had many, many spoons on it. And thank you to the Metro Cinema staff that knowingly allow this to happen, aware of what the cleanup is going to be like. Yeah. Like, funnily enough, when we walked in, they hadn't cleaned up from Jurassic Park. I yet. guess why do it? They probably took all of the like bags and cups, but just like Left the rest. they're just like we're gonna have to do a big clean tomorrow yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, and you know, I did. I heard somebody as we were walking out because um, as the movie ends, and it was still like that energy was kept up through the whole like 
hundred minutes and like through the credits and it's like one thirty in the morning when the movie's done and you're walking out and there's just like this symphony of crackling under your feet as like everybody is stepping on these plastic spoons. And I heard one person just say, oh, well, I do recycle at home. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think one of us wasn't like, oh, my goodness, the wastefulness. But um, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, yes, of course, probably awful. On the other hand, I'll probably buy a big box of spoons when I go next time. <laughs> So I do want to talk about like some of my conflicting feelings. Is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of like the positivity and what you loved about it? Um, I just think like this movie is so ridiculous and so ridiculously bad that the audience immediately made it better. Yes. Like I enjoyed the, the experience of watching this movie with an audience. Also, um, um, so obviously it is loud. So loud. The whole time. And then the movie started and we found out that they put it with subtitles on. Yeah. And I was like, Brilliant. should I see every movie like this? <laughs> <laughs> like we all we want is for there to be subtitles in films. And it made me think because I was actually able to follow the plot with all this. No- what little plot there is with all this noise going on that it made me wonder if all theater films had subtitles if i if my sensory struggles might be reduced by my ability to still hear the dialogue and focus on the words on the screen mm. because i am such a um i can't see pictures in my head but i can see words and so i think that sometimes when i'm looking at a screen as much as i love a movie i can because i struggle with visual things i can sometimes be pulled away from it more easily but when the words are on the screen, I'm pretty, I love words. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like zoomed into it. And I, you know, I wonder how many other people there are like me who the accessibility of having subtitles on the screen. And I know that for cinema purists, that's like taking away from the visual frame. But I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. Anything else? No. Okay. So let me talk about my complicated feelings. So the first time we ever heard about The Room, we were in our early 20s and some people, some friends of ours told us about these midnight showings that happen every month and how they love to go. And I remember them like really, people we really respect to this day, who we really like, who have, you know, aligned feelings about how to be a good human being like us. Like we we are very similar in that way. We're kind of gleefully saying that like, yeah, when Lisa's on the screen, you shout bitch and you shout, shout slut. And I'm in my early years of my gender studies degree and I was just like well that sounds awful I don't want to be a part of that yeah and so I've I felt really nervous to go because even after seeing it and after having very much enjoyed the experience there's an extent to which I don't think I'll ever fully be able to be all in on the room because of the misogyny that's inherent in even the making of the movie that you know I think it's pretty much well known that Tommy Wiseau made this about an ex to paint himself, at least how he sees himself as the victim and her as this like unredeemable, awful, horrific human being. So there's that background of it. Also, the actress who played Lisa was treated pretty terribly. Mm. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, as were the entire cast and crew were treated really terribly. Um, And it was not a fun experience to my knowledge. But then also how audiences have approached the film in the almost 
20 years since it's been out and become this cult classic. Right. It's, it's hard. It's hard for me to fully be all in on it, especially like, you know, I really appreciated that. I believe it was the executive director of Metro came up on the stage and, and kind of gave some rules about like, don't throw footballs, don't throw metal spoons, <laughs> throw all the spoons you want. But then he also said, shout all you want, but don't say anything sexist, racist, racist, misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic, or otherwise offensive. Just be a kind person. Yeah. And I did find that while everybody booed Lisa, because I mean, she is portrayed as a awful person, an awful character. I mostly just heard you're a bad person and not gendered insults. Yeah. So I was really happy about that. Now, that's not to say it's very possible that we just weren't privy to other parts of the theater where maybe people were yelling different things. Right. But something that did still bother me is even in this this viewing where like the preface was that by, you know, the theater, the people who represent the theater, people are cheering Mark and booing Lisa. Yeah. I want to watch a version of this where we boo Mark as much as we boo Lisa. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm still troubled by that. Mm -hmm. And I'm troubled by that's why this movie was made was to denigrate this female character who represented a real woman in his life. Um, and we're, we're gleefully shouting and yelling at that and participating in it. And the audience is pretty white. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the people who seem to be the most emphatic are male presenting. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, there's a degree to which I still am a little unsettled by the experience of this. And Hey, there's another master's thesis in this, I think. Big time. Um, and maybe how that shifts over time. So some things that like, just trivia about it. The actress who played Lisa, Juliet Danielle, apparently, according to IMDb, IMDb trivia, has said that she doesn't regret doing the movie because it led to other opportunities and that she has come to terms with being Lisa from the room forever, which is really sad. Mm. However, she regrets agreeing to perform nude for the sex scenes because every single moment filmed for it was used and she believes another director would have edited the scene to spare her. And in mm. fact, she went into hiding after the film because people were commenting so negatively on her body publicly. Oh, come on. Um, also, sex scenes when they're shot are typically done on a closed set, and Tommy Wiseau made it an open set and required the entire cast and crew to be there. He required the entire cast and crew to be there for every scene. Mm. Um, and she so disliked filming the sex scene that when he requested to film another one, she wouldn't do it. So he just reused footage from the first one to have a second sex scene. So, like, that's pretty upsetting, right? That's yeah. pretty awful. Um, and just, like, in general, there seems to be a lot of, you know, cast who have anonymously talked about some ways of being on the set were really, really... It wasn't fun. It's not like this group of people made this really fun-loving film that turned out to be terrible and we're, like, rejoicing in it. Like, it also feels mean-spirited in the way that we're, like, making fun of this bad movie that this person tried to make. Right. He's like, he's a pretty unlikable character that he's created. Mm -hmm. Persona. I don't know. I feel, I feel really conflicted about it because I genuinely had so much fun. But it's kind of an all around bad movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, in, the, in that others of us would like, you know, not go see Amsterdam or not go see, you know, if a Roman Polanski film. Right. Not that I'm equating 
I, I don't know of anything that Tommy Wiseau has done like that, but there's a misogyny inherent in the making of the film and in the subject of the film that is being reinforced through the way the audience participates in the film, including us. Yeah. And I, I, I feel very conflicted about that. Yeah. No, I think all of that is extremely valid and makes, you know, even, and then the fact that we have something like the disaster artist, which kind of deep dives further into the room and then is, you know, is led by James James Franco, Franco, who is a whole nother bag of worms. He has a bag of worms. Um, yeah, it's uh, really complicated. It is, and so I'm not. I am not jump rushing out to do this again. No, there's a degree to which I don't feel like I belong in that space. Yeah, and I there's I, definitely a demographic. Yeah, of the folks that are there. So yeah, I I just I thought it you know I I I was really like against seeing it in the theater because of those things. Back in the day, and I had kind of forgotten about that until we got close, like we had until we got closer and closer to seeing it. I was like, "Oh, right, that's why I didn't want to see it." Right, and it and it wasn't like I thought it was going to be, which I was really thankful for, and I was thankful for the way that Metro is, you know, it's an inclusive space. Um, they have a lot of curation and films that you know are in conjunction with Pride Center. They have all gendered washrooms. You know they they seem to practice what they preach. And so I, I appreciated how that was set, but it's still that misogyny is still baked into how this film became a cult classic. Yeah. It's fundamentally about cheering on Tommy and booing Lisa or t- cheering on Johnny and booing Lisa. Yeah. It's tough. It is. I have a couple other pieces of trivia. Okay. Um, Tommy Wiseau insisted on showing his butt saying, I quote, have to show my ass or the movie won't sell. (laughs) Okay. Um, and the editor, Eric Chase told him that the sight of it scared his wife. That's not, it's not good, (laughs) butt. don't be mean. Don't shame his butt. Um, (laughs) sorry for the butt shame. Johnny was also supposed to be a vampire. There was supposed to be a vampire subplot, but this was dropped because the budget wouldn't allow for the flying scenes that they wanted that Tommy wanted. Um, Tommy was insistent that other languages not be spoken at any time in the film, hence future wife and future husband instead of fiance. Oh. Um, this is my favorite. This is, just my, this is a quote from IMDb Trivia. There are eight instances of the phrase, don't worry about it. One, don't worry about that. One, don't worry about me. Two, don't worry about Johnny. One, don't worry about those fuckers. And two, plain old don't worries. <laughs> um, an anonymous cast member said the original script was incredibly long with lengthy monologues, claiming the script contained, quote, stuff that was just unsayable. I know it's hard to imagine there was stuff that was worse, but there was. <laughs> um there, 10 minutes of the film is comprised of sex scenes, which is 10% of the movie. When asked why there's so much football in the movie, Tommy Wiseau said, because football is fun. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if this is true, which I believe it is, IMDb says that there is nothing that happens between the second sex scene and the birthday party that has any bearing on the plot. He said this? No, IMDb says oh. this. <laughs> also, there was a direct, there's a directorial debate dispute with one of the people involved in the film because apparently Tommy Wiseau was 
I think it's well known that he like couldn't memorize his lines and he was struggling to do all this stuff. And so he would just like tell other people to like, will you deal with the camera? And so a lot of people have said that there's this other person who actually filmed much more of it and was much more responsible for setting up the camera. But that person, I don't have the first name, but Schlaer is the last name, said, ah, well, claiming to be the director would be like claiming to have been the Hindenburg's principal aeronautics engineer. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> um, and then my final piece of trivia is that this cult, this audience participation cult classic stuff started with Michael Rousselet and Scott Gardner when they saw it in the theater in 2004. 2003 in its initial run, they were mesmerized and obsessed with it. So they bought 100 tickets and brought their friends to the final four screenings during the last three days of its run. And they ran amok in the theater, bringing props such as spoons of football and roses as what they called a Viking funeral, believing the film would never be seen again. (laughs) (laughs) And then there we go. Um, So that's all my trivia. I am glad to have experienced this movie. I do not think it's something I am clamoring out to do again, but I'm also not saying I won't ever go again. Yeah. Yeah. I also still don't know why it's called The Room. Oh, he's been asked that. And he said something about like, because rooms make people feel safe and cozy or something. (laughs) I don't know. Also, he's talked to like, people thought it was a horror movie based on the cover. Like, it's a mess. Yeah. It's a mess. Yeah. How did seeing The Room at Metro Cinema make you feel? I was grateful that we bought tickets and went because it is one of the most unique and wild theater experiences of my life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It made me feel astounded. And, the you know, seeing my favorite theater sold out for the first time in years and see, like, feeling that electric energy did lift my soul despite my complicated feelings about the film. And I really enjoyed the experience. But more than anything, it made me so excited to hopefully snag tickets for Rocky Horror Picture Show at Metro. Yeah. I'm more. I'm That's one more I could see myself doing every year because I yeah. I know there's problems with that movie, but God damn, do I love it and it is sexy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I started off feeling a little overwhelmed in this. I ended up feeling whelmed. Whelmed. Well, <laughs> you felt whelmed. Whelmed. Okay, we watched six movies. We've been talking for a hot minute. It's time to talk about bad bad dads and rad dads. Hell yeah. Who's your bad dad? My bad dad is Mayor Vaughn from Jaws. <laughs> yeah, that's a good choice. Played by Murray Hamilton. Good choice. Not my choice. But a good choice. But a good choice. Well, this man gaslights the entire town. He puts profit over safety. Even when he has all the information he needs to keep people safe, he lies for the sake of image and profit. And he feels pretty representative of a lot of bad dads We've had running places around the world since March 2020. <laughs> Who did you pick? Um, my person, I don't really want to talk too much about. Oh. But I picked AJ, played by Justin Long in Barbarian. Well, then we can't pick him. <laughs> we can't. I, we can't. Sorry. All right. If you can't explain why, and you can't because it would spoil. Yeah. Then I guess Mayor Vaughn's the bad dad. All right. Do you agree he's a pretty bad dad though? Oh yeah, he was my runner up. Okay. Oh, I I'm with you on what you're saying, but I'm dedicated to being spoiler free. And I think even calling him a bad dad is potentially a little bit a little bit a little bit niggling. All right, Mayor Vaughn. <laughs> oh, pee pee poo poo. 
kick, kick rocks. Kick rocks. Get out of here. Hey, Rad Dad. Who's your Rad Dad? Let's say it on uh, three, shall we? You're confident that we have the same person? <laughs> okay, let's try it. Okay. One, two, three. Chief Alan Brody. Grant. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong either. <laughs> uh, for those of you who didn't hear, I said Alan Grant. And I said Chief Brody. <laughs> so they're both Steven Spielberg protagonists. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to try and convince me? Yeah. So Chief Brody, played by Roy Scheider in Jaws, he's the dad of Amity. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, to paraphrase, to paraphrase The Dark Knight. He's, you know, maybe not the one they wanted, but the one they needed. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you are um, the whitest boy today. <laughs> big time. Oh, man. <sighs> Just out here with my white pee-pee. <laughs> Don't say that, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, he cares for the, like, the ones that he loves. Very, you know, I love the family dynamic that he has in this. Mm-hmm. Like, but the relationship he has with his, his wife, uh, how much he cares for his kids. Um. But I also love that he recognizes his faults and missteps and he sees that he has to reckon with those and Mm. find ways to repair them Um, or, you know, and if he can't repair them, how does he, how does he move forward knowing those things? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's, I I think it's respectable Mm. and I I really like that. Mm -hmm. To be fair. Alan Grant was a very close runner-up for me. So was Brody. I'll talk about why I chose Alan. Yeah. Um, so even though kids aren't his thing, which I deeply relate to. <laughs> yeah. When push comes to shove, he puts those kids' safeties first. Puts his own life at risk. Unlike a certain other person. In Who goes to a bathroom stall. Yeah. During the events of the movie, he cares about attempting to minimize the trauma, even when he knows trauma is inevitable. Like, I think one of possibly the most beautiful things I've ever seen in cinema is when he says, I won't tell anybody you threw up. (laughs) Like, it's just it's such a tender, sad, real moment of like this kid who is so afraid. And he's so ashamed of his fear that he like that's what he's hyper focused on. Yeah. And Alan doesn't get frustrated or be like, well, we have to get out of the tree. He just he puts his hand out gently and it's, I won't tell anyone you threw up. Now come. And he like, you can tell that he knows they need to get out of that tree. But he, you know, he doesn't he's really rough at the beginning of the film. Because, you know, whatever, the kids have a grandpa. But as soon as he knows that he is the only parental figure the only adult around, he steps up mm-hmm. and does what he has to do, even though he doesn't like kids, right? And he didn't sign up for this. Nobody mm-hmm. even told him he'd have to spend time around kids while he was there. Um, he does know how to be warm when it's needed. From the time that he starts to recognize these are children and this is trauma, he's incredibly soft with them. And he's honest the whole time. He never lies to them about the danger they're in. Mm-hmm. But he speaks to them at the level they're at clearly directly and with a warmth but also honestly and that's really cool yeah he also seems like a good person to cuddle with 
Like a, a good dad to have a cuddle with. Did you see that somebody was dressed up cosplaying as Alan Grant at the movie? And I was like, Those are, that would also be a great costume is like I be Tim and you be Alan. <laughs> <laughs> would you throw up? Definitely. I wouldn't tell anybody. Huh, I like they're both. How do we. What do we do here? I don't know. Do we have codads? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I really love them both. I like I think I picked Alan because I was maybe faulting Brody a little bit for like some of the choices he makes at the beginning of the film, but you did convince me with saying like he makes mistakes and he reckon he accepts responsibility for that. He doesn't try and shift that blame to anybody else. He doesn't try and make excuses for the mistakes he's made. He just internally seeks to reckon with it and to make make attempts to not do something like that again without like giving false platitudes or you know the kind of stuff the mayor would do and so the fact that I even was like faulting him for that when like people make mistakes and he makes an unforgivable judgment error in judgment unforgivable but he also recognizes that and how can I hate him for that I don't hate him. I love him. Well, I think he's and I, such a babe. Well, and I think the thing is, is that Brody takes on and feels the, res- and you know, takes on the responsibility for the town, the people that live in Amity. And when he sees that nobody else is, including the mayor, he realizes that he needs to step up in that role. And it's, you know, and even the mayor makes that very clear in a very, pivotal scene where he tries to shift blame mm-hmm. Brody's like no this is my blame to take and, and he recognizes that when you know nobody else in the town is willing to take responsibility he is the one that will be it's again very Batman <laughs> but I don't I don't think I can say that he's I want him any more or less as a dad than I do Alan Grant so I think we got to code no, out it I think that that is the the, unfor- the unfortunate I- part of watching Jurassic Park and Jaws <laughs> in the same week. But I think that both of these characters deserve to be double dads. I think having them as your co-parents would be wonderful. Rad double dads Rad it is. double dads it is. So Alan Grant and Chief Brody, be, be our dads. dads. Okay, I have, a, I have a bonus daddy. Oh, hell yeah. I'm, you know, I'm feeling my crushes really hard this week. I'm always feeling crushes. Can you guess who my bonus daddy is? I think of all these movies. Just tell you. Is it Laura Dern? It's Laura Dern. Hell yeah. It's Ellie. Um, Laura Dern. Honestly. She's especially babely. I know. I was like, Chief Brody could be my bonus daddy. Bill Skarsgård could be my bonus daddy. Yeah. Sam Neill could be my bonus daddy. Jeff Goldblum could be my bonus daddy. We got lots of daddies going on here. Um, And some of my favorite memes as a proud bisexual person are the ones that are like, you know, you're bisexual when, and it's like, you're attracted to Robin and Steve. Um, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, we need one. I'm sure it exists out there that says, you know, you're bisexual when you're attracted to Alan Grant and Ellie. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. But if I had to pick, it's Ellie all day, every day. Um, I love that. If if you had like a cute little fangirl shirt, it would be I dig. I dig Ellie. <laughs> Ellie and, and Ellen. <laughs> I dig Ellie and Ellen. Um, yeah. 
Laura Dern is babely at all times, but in this movie particularly, she is giving that like slight lesbian energy that we need uh, just or like, like queer energy. I mean, she's she's with Alan, so she's pro- like she's got that queer pansexual bisexual energy that I try to exude myself. Just like the <laughs> and that I love to see back the boots with the socks, Ugh. the short shorts, and then like the tank with the tied overshirt. Yeah. And then it's like cuffed and really nice. But like not to take away from Ellie because this is our bonus daddy, you agree? Yeah. Oh, of course. Sam Neill's little kerchief, also real sexy. Oh, and like, you know that Jurassic Park kicks into high gear at the very beginning when she puts that bad boy around his neck. Yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah, it's about to happen. So there are many, many, many characters that I had a crush on this. But Laura Dern takes the cake. So bonus daddy. Laura Dern. Wheat woo. Wheat woo. Okay. Rad Rack. Yeah. And we out. Yeah, big time. Okay. So Rad Rack this week is a TV show that I've been wanting to watch all summer. I've been so excited to watch it. I've been hearing such great things. We finally started watching it. We're one episode away from the finale because we live in Canada. So it's released uh, week to week and the, the finale doesn't uh, drop until next week. But... The Red Wreck of the Week is the show from FX called The Bear. I really like this show so far. It's the first season. It's going to be eight episodes. It's uh, about this person who's a chef, uh, a highly well-regarded chef, but he moves back to his hometown to take over the restaurant that was formerly owned by his brother. And it's just kind of the trials and tribulations of running a restaurant in Detroit and you know I I freaking love like kitchen nightmares I love watching <laughs> Gordon Ramsay videos I love watching all of that kind of stuff I would never want to work in a kitchen and I you know I barely cook um you make lunches I I wish I had as much of a passion for cooking as the people in in these shows or in the show the bear uh but I don't um but I live vicariously through these people <laughs> that I watch on the screen. But the show's great. Like I already feel so much heart. The characters are great. The seventh episode, the penultimate, is one of the best pieces of television. It's one of the best 20 minutes of television I've ever watched in my life. It's so it's very good. Good. It's I, incredible. I, I want to teach it. I've watched it twice. <laughs> you watched it again without me? Yeah, I did. Well, I'm oh. gonna teach it and then I'll watch it. Multiple times a year without you. I'd happily watch it again. <laughs> um, it's the the style, how it's shot, the pacing, the cinematography, j- the the chaos of it all. It is, you know, for some people, I feel like this would not be an easy show to watch. Just like not even from like a themes or content perspective, but from the way that it's edited and paced and how chaotic chaotic it is. So. Um, but I, I'm loving it. Uh, so yeah, red wreck of the week, check out the bear. It's on Disney plus in Canada, uh, Hulu in the States. I don't know about anywhere else, but seek it out where you can. Uh, thank you for listening. (laughs) Right. Think what is a really long episode? Yeah, it's a, it's a doozy, but, uh, also a banger is a big banger. Um, We drop a new episode every Thursday. 
Until then, you can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad or on Twitter at baddadraddad. Answer some of those questions we post to you throughout the episode. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and get some get some insight. Just to reiterate those, are you up for us talking about more movies than we do on the occasional week that we watch more and have the episodes be a little bit longer? Question number one. Uh, question number two, would you be interested in the very occasional spoiler episode as a bonus episode um and question number three what are your thoughts on putting pamphlets down to reserve seats and then <laughs> effing right off for 30 minutes before you come back um what are your movie theater etiquette do's and don'ts mm, we'd yeah. love to hear from you whether that's in the comments on one of our posts or whether you send us a little dm um or on twitter yeah. and elliot cuss will tell you where you can find that I already did. Uh, Elliot Cuss just told you where you can find it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm looking at my cat. He's cute. He is cute. He's also getting impatient. Um, you can also get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual letterboxed accounts. Uh, links to those are in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever if you could drop us a rating, review, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. But that is going to do it for these two stinky diapers this week. So until next week. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. Uh, I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember. Not all dads have to be bad. Mm-hmm.